Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 7.30 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. <laughs> Alright, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. A Night Shift Radio original. Every week we bring you the good, the bad, the weird, and lesser known streaming movies. Hit subscribe for new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. As you know, Michael, recently I, I was I was back in town. I was in Syracuse and hanging out. Was, I was aware of that, yes. It was yes. a good time. We got, we got to hang out a few times. Uh, I stopped by the new bookstore, uh, which... Pa- Pantheon pa- books? Parthenon. Parthenon books. Parthenon. Uh, Panthro books? <laughs> Panthro from from uh, Thundercats. <laughs> from Thundercats. Books. <laughs> That's the full name. <laughs> Panthro from Thundercats. Books. Uh, yeah, no, great little shop. Uh, super, super stoked that downtown has a, a bookstore. Also got to, to pop into the little tiny one over in Liverpool, too, which is adorable. But uh, specifically walked away from Parthenon with a stack of spooky books for spooky season. Yeah. Uh, and so yesterday I finished a book that was given to me uh, by my good friend David when I was on my Tacoma trip. I finished that book and I was like, what next? And so I picked up, I don't know if you can read it, it's called Ghostland, Ghostland. An okay. American History in Haunted Places. Uh, oh, that's right up your alley. It is right up my alley uh, because it it deals more in the in the possibly normal than the paranormal. Uh, the uh, the author Colin Dickey. Uh, not sure if he's related to uh, R. A. Dickey, the famous knuckleballer from the Mets, uh, or not. But it <laughs> uh, goes to various uh, purportedly famous haunted places around the country and tells a little bit about. The supposed story, the the various lore that people tell about the place, then goes more into depth about the actual history of the house or the town or the region, whatever, uh, and then kind of like surgically picks apart uh, the the haunting elements to reveal that like so much of it is more telling of us culturally. Uh, so he talks about, you know, ghosts on a plantation, for example, are uh, a lot of times really just us dealing with the travesties and the horrors of slavery. Uh, the trend of like, oh, it was a Native American burial ground is us dealing culturally with the terrible things that the United States did to the Native Americans. Uh, the Winchester House, uh, which I love architecturally, but honestly never personally bought into any of the the stories behind it uh he actually goes through and talks about like uh no in fact there's no evidence that sarah winchester uh was a crazy person or that she consulted with psychics or that she believed that if she didn't stop building her house she would die uh it's more that she was a woman alone with a lot of money who moved to this area and was experimenting with architecture and building and really just kind of had this perpetual notion of like, oh, yes, family and friends, I'll invite you over to my house when it's done. Wink, wink. (laughs) And so all of these rumors were spread about her when she was still alive. They were debunked then. But then, of course, after she dies, a man who had been involved in like a a funhouse act up in Canada uh, sees the opportunity and he draws inspiration from a Get this mystery house uh, at the 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 carnival that he worked at. He buys the property and turns all of those former legends into the Winchester Mystery House and stuff like that. And I think that that's really fascinating because it picks apart a lot of the famous hauntings and the the stories that people tell, but doesn't necessarily try to debunk hauntings in general. Uh, and there are a lot of people who do focus on. I mean, I, I watched a, a SciShow episode the other day that was all like you know five things that probably are aren't real about hauntings and 
Like, yeah, okay. Like all of the stuff I get, but like, I don't know that infrasound is necessarily a, a enough of a blanket explanation for like centuries, millennia worth of ghost stories. But like, I see where you're going with this and I've seen the experiments and it's fucking fascinating. So I love like all sides of this, but I, I per- particularly thought as I was reading Ghostland this morning and then watched uh, our movie for today, uh, how interesting it is that like you hear, uh, especially like you watch paranormal documentaries or ghost hunting shows or whatnot and like, oh, in this house and, you know, in room 3A, uh, you know, Annie is known to walk the halls at night and she was a, you know, she worked the brothel back in the 1800s, but she was killed by a, a jealous lover or something like that. And like, okay, but like no records ever show an Annie working at this place and there weren't actually any documented deaths there. And like, all, like all, how the lore grows over time uh, to kind of match people's expectations of the uncanniness of an old house or, you know, a vacant warehouse or like a long empty plantation or whatever. Like people fill the gaps with their own imagination sometimes. And I think that that translates really well to uh, the, at least the setting for our film today. Uh, yeah, set in the old Abaddon uh, Hotel. So that being said, hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fight. And I'm an inexplicable plot point that will be raised and never answered. <laughs> oh, that's who you're into. Yeah, so uh, so we're rounding out the month, right? This is this is Halloween is tomorrow That's for those true. of you who are listening when this episode uh, released. Halloween is uh, tomorrow, so spooky season is wrapping up. It is almost over. By the time uh, you listen to this, I will be forty-one. Yes, Caleb. Yeah, Caleb. <laughs> uh, happy birthday, Caleb! Uh, five, four days ago. Yeah, three now because uh, well, three days from now, from from today days. that we record. And four days ago. Uh, four days ago from when the episode. Because we did it on yes. the 30th. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, math. math. <laughs> it's the, from the past, from the future, possibly both. Uh, yeah, so we are. Uh, we got curated a list of movies uh, mm-hmm. for us for the month. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, all done by Casey Ryan. Yep, over uh, from the, the Superpod Hero cast, of course, Guys with Beers talking about movies with capes, and the, uh, the recently completed... Uh, Night Shift original miniseries uh, where mo- no mom has gone before uh, yeah. doing a, a walkthrough of the Star, Star Trek cinematic world uh, with the Ryan brothers and their mom. It was just, just an absolutely delightful show. It really was. And I, I think it's kind of a roller coaster for that show, though. Because it's like every other week we get news of like, maybe the new Star Trek movie is back. And then it's like, no, just kidding. (laughs) It's not. But maybe this time. (laughs) So it's like every two weeks they're like, do do we have another episode in like a year and a half or don't we? I mean, I will be shocked if we don't ever get another Star Trek movie of some sort. But I I feel like... I feel like at this point we we should not be hoping for the the JJ verse to be revived with a, a fourth film, uh, at least not like a direct sequel. I think it would be it would be kind of cool to see them continue in the Kelvin timeline for the films. I wouldn't be mad about that, but I don't know that I want to bring the cast from the first three back and like try to to pick up where I left off. I, I feel like. Maybe try something different. I don't know. I'm, I would watch yeah. it. I, I will watch it either way. But, uh, you know, I have I, thoughts. I, I brought this up uh, last time when we were talking with Casey. And I, you know, just like I say with Star Wars, like, I'm ready for a story that is not a story of a character we already know. Mm. Like, in Star Trek, you know, what what was great, you know, as much as I love the nostalgia of Picard and Strange New Worlds, you know, because they tie into that, like, I want to see... What are other people doing in the Star Trek universe? What are other people doing that aren't Skywalkers or people who interacted (laughs) with a Skywalker in the Star Wars universe? Like, what are the other people doing? Like, that's where I think people need to go. But I understand from, from like, a producer standpoint of why that's kind of a gamble, right? Because... and I mean, people have the familiarity. The franchise has done that before. I mean, obviously, the in more recent years, Discovery was a, a huge departure from the original. There, we we see and kind of touch on characters and events that we're familiar with, but then they get to go and do their own thing entirely. Uh, to a lesser extent, Strange New Worlds does that because 
you know, yes, there are some characters and yes, it's a familiar setting because it's the original Enterprise, but it's new stories with a new crew. Uh, but if you go back, uh, you know, we had the original series, we had Next Generation. That's what a lot of us grew up with and, and loved so dearly. Um, Deep Space Nine took a risk, you know, kind of overlapping with uh, Next Generation, but being kind of set in its own thing. Ronald D. Moore, brilliant, brilliant uh, showrunner. Uh, but then Voyager goes off and fucks off on its own and tells stories with completely different characters. Uh, in my opinion, does a pretty bad job of it for several years. Uh, and along comes Enterprise to try to go back and like way, way, way back at the beginning and fill some of it again. Like, Maybe not so great. So, like, I don't know that they've had a lot of, like, solid track work with saying, let's step out of our comfort zone in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> yeah. I mean... <laughs> and this is someone who is a lifetime fan of the franchise, uh, acknowledging that, like, they don't always get that right. Yeah. Uh, you know, but that, honestly, this is all a conversation for Casey and <laughs> them to have. Next time we have Casey on, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We'll, we'll go into that again. Which, by the way, if you uh, are not subscribed to this show, we have bonus episodes every Thursday every where we kind of talk about what's going on. The past nine weeks, we have been talking about the She-Hulk show uh, that was on Disney+. Plus, and mm -hmm. we had the Superpod Cast guys uh, kind of alternating, both Todd and Casey. And what a treat. on... It was great. Every other episode or so, and every time Casey was on, we always went into a Star Trek tangent. So if Star Trek <laughs> is your thing, you want to make sure to catch at least those episodes. Yeah. Uh, and if you wanted any sort of like, oh, well, that was issue number this, uh, which came out in this year, uh, drawn by this person, you want to listen to all the Todd episodes. Yes. Because he knew all of that information always. Oh, it's so good. Such such a yeah. good run of, of episodes, and uh, I hope that we get a chance to... to do that again sometime maybe the the next marvel show who knows secret invasion yeah. here we go yeah. that'll be the next time we have them on which so we'll see you in seven months when <laughs> that show uh finally airs meanwhile <laughs> it's just gonna be us back on our bullshit again back on our bullshit two assholes farting into the mic wasn't that uh one of our reviews <laughs> leave a review hey be wild in the reviews go for it uh i we're all for it somebody said it was just two assholes uh it's, farting into a microphone or something I like think that they said which, it, it should be called the fart show because it's just two assholes talking <laughs> talking in the mic yeah there you go there it is very great use of language, like very colorful. I am all for it, guys. Really, really bring it out. Be as flowery as possible in those uh, rating and review yeah. sections of Spotify and Apple Podcasts. <laughs> so, yeah. So Casey curated this list for us, and it's all found footage films mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. uh, Casey is somewhat of a found footage connoisseur. He, he loves it, and uh, he has been uh, quick to chide us all month whenever we make too many references back to The Blair Witch, <laughs> which, again, is you know, the one that kind of started it all for most people uh, in, in the genre. Uh, but you know what? The references are going to happen. We'll, we'll, try to, we'll try to keep them to a minimum in, in this episode. because I mean, there's at least one. Yeah, I mean, so. that we have to but it's just it's gonna happen yeah so i mean casey like we know you're listening this this is your warning it's gonna happen <laughs> it's gonna happen it's gonna happen there's there's at least one possibly two if i remember uh, so so today's film is hell house llc but we're specifically watching the director's cut okay okay so i have i don't know if i have questions or if i have uh, if i have problems uh, with with that statement, uh, because I I watched the Hell House LLC director's cut, Hell House LLC being the the first of a trilogy so far uh, of films starting. I in, just learned this in 2015, uh, and this I mean this is a case. Here's here's a Blair Witch reference. Uh, this is a case of a film like Blair Witch where it doesn't really make sense why they went back and made more, uh, <laughs> and especially because the second one is basically just a repeat of the same concept. Uh, cool. Which cool. Uh, I mean, wasn't Book of Shadows also? Was that Book of Shadows? Blair Witch Two, Book of Shadows, something, something like that. Uh, something like that. Uh, but it's the, the same idea. Like they go back and make a documentary about the documentary about the original footage. <laughs> it's like what the fuck? Yeah. It's and then I the mean, third one was like the witches one, uh, and then there was yeah. another one that's just Blair Witch. Oh yeah, that's right. I never watched yeah. that one. That 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 looked like it might have been a return to form and scariness, but I don't. I didn't see it. Uh, yeah. But it kind of makes me think of House of Leaves the Mark Danielewski book that is a, a story about a, a documentary film made by uh, a man named Davidson about his weird house uh, told through the notes of a crazy old man uh, as 
then kind of transposed through the eyes of Johnny Truant, who finds and like like also experiences weird shit uh, while reading through the notes of the old man's story about the the house document. It's, Story within a story within a story. It's very fucking fascinating. A huge head trip. Uh, gave me waking nightmares. Great book. Um, but yeah, it's it's that kind of concept when you start getting into something like this Hell House LLC, and then you start adding on to that world with more, uh, which I'm, is why I don't understand why there's a, a, a two sequels. Uh, oh, okay. Back to my original questions or concerns. Uh, <laughs> I watched this film. I sat down, and Hell House LLC is... Uh, is slated at uh, an hour 33 minutes ish hour and a half the director's cut two hours six minutes something like that so basically just over two hours I'm like, cool that's like yeah. a half hour of like extra footage and immediately it's the director hey what's up it's johnny director here uh steven cognetti uh is like this is the director's cut i'm gonna do a bunch of extra shit and then the movie starts. I'm like, all right well that immediately takes me out of it so thanks steven um i'm sorry casey i'm I'm not happy right now. Um, and then it's just, it's the hour and a half long movie. And then at the end, like stick around for the bonus shit. And I'm like, okay, so this wasn't a director's cut. This was, you included the DVD extras in the stream. That's what it felt like. I, I don't know if this is a mistake on the distributor's part, but it definitely felt like they just like hit record on the streamer database and then just hit play on the DVD and let it cycle through all its right. menus or something. <laughs> and it's just like, well, there you go. There's the bonus cut. I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily like, I'm not mad at the film. I'm mad. I think I'm more mad at like how it was presented. Yes. Also in the beginning, I was mad at how it was presented because I was like, dude, you were showing me like, you're like, I felt like you're almost spoiling the movie for me Yeah. because in the beginning he was like showing all the behind the scenes. I'm like, I don't want to see this right now. Yeah. And again, this isn't the movie's fault necessarily. No. I think this is, has to do with like how it got yeah, uploaded should... to the streamer. But I was like, dude, shut up. I don't want to see any of this yet. <laughs> we should take a moment. And uh, Casey, we, we apologize. We're, we're already ripping into it and not, uh, before you message us, uh, which you probably already did, uh, just listen a couple more minutes when we tell you we're not mad, we're just disappointed. <laughs> we're just disappointed, and not at and not at you. Um, yeah, it was very weird because as soon as he started talking, I was like, "What is this? What is this? Stop talking! You're going to show me the end of it." Because because Casey was very specific to say like, "Hey, don't look anything up about this movie. There's you know the ending is what really gets it. Mm. Like, don't do it." So I did a really good job of not looking at any information about this movie. So as soon as he started talking, I was like, "Come on!" Yep. I literally spent all month avoiding this movie, you know, not looking anything up for it at all. Only to end up being uh, spoiled about it again, uh, potentially spoiled. But luckily, I mean, it isn't too bad. But it definitely was like, dude, stop! Yeah. I'm I'm about to watch the movie. I just I I did not understand the the need to set up that there were going to be like extra stuff at the end. Like I, like let people yeah. watch the thing and see that there's still a half an hour left on the stream and be like, oh, what's this? Oh, there's more! Hey, hooray! Uh, <laughs> but and- wait, there's more. Because it it wasn't even presented. Like, the way he introduces it, it's as though, like, what you are about to watch is truly my original vision, following the script entirely. We didn't move anything around. We didn't cut anything. It's got all of this in here. You're going to see in its glory. And I was like, dope. That's why it's two hours long. And and he's like, and then we got some uh, some deleted scenes and some bloopers and stuff. I was like. Okay, so that's going to come after, right? All right, then. Right. Then maybe it's it's you know it's still two hours long, but maybe that's like six minutes worth after the credits or whatever. But no, it really is just the movie as like I could have just watched the the regular stream, and that's the the part that I don't get about presenting it as the director's cut is that it it wasn't. I would love to, uh, not immediately, but re-watch the other version of the film to see if there's anything different, because I will say, and we will get to it, and I I think you're going to agree with me, because I think you already kind of sort of brought it up, but there is a part of this movie that I was like, this could get cut and not not change anything, and in fact would make the movie a lot smoother, Mm -hmm. because there is a section in the movie where a thing happens, and I'm like, wait, what is happening? And then, as you say, they never talk about it again, mm-hmm. and it holds no weight to their film. It's like, I don't understand why that was there mm-hmm. when, like, you're building tension, and then you threw this other thing in, and I'm like, should I care about that? No, you're not going to talk about it again. All right, I'll go back to the tension. Yeah, they're working on the a film. F- they're working on a fourth one of these that's slated for next year. 
I mean, these found footage movies are so cheap. Like, you think about, like, you don't have any crew mm -hmm. as much as you would normally. Like, you have a lot of your pre-production crew of people getting things up in order, but you you lose out on, like, your, all of your whole camera department, your lighting department. Sound is normally done, you know, it can be just a, a set it and forget it type thing because they're moving around in the 360 so much yeah. that you really can't have people you can't have standing a on one... Yeah, following them around. You can't, you know, the director's got to be behind the camera at all times. And a lot of times in these films, the the uh, camera person is the director. In fact, I uh, so. I, I think that was the case in, a, in at least some of these scenes. I think the, the director uh, was like uncredited as the, the person behind the camera. Uh, yeah, which, or in some of the costumes or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. But so cheap, man. So cheap to to make. Uh, the, you know, that's how you do it. You mentioned the the pre production stuff. I will say, from the the special features, the DVD extras, the location scouting was actually probably the coolest fucking thing that they did. Yeah, yeah. So so that's a cool uh, fact about this. So uh, in the movie, it's it's the Abaddon Hotel, um, and it's this uh, hotel in upstate New York where uh, this crazy guy Andrew Tully. Um, had the hotel, people kept checking in and disappearing, most notably a woman and her 11-year-old daughter. They check in, they disappear. You know, the cops go to uh, go to the hotel. They question Andrew Tully, who was basically like, no, here's, you know, here's documents saying that they definitely checked out of the hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they, you know, went away. And so the cops cleared him because they're like, well, I mean, this is the evidence. They just, you know, fucked off after they left. But supposedly he was into satanic rituals and attempted to open a portal to hell and, uh, like and notably, like you do, That's... and notably ended up being found hung in the dining room of the hotel. Yeah. Like whenever I uh, go to open a hotel, I definitely make sure to do satanic rituals in the basement uh, just to see, you know, just to see what, what kind of a, what kind of a good time I can give my guests. I mean, listen, they say all the time that uh, the most important part about a business is location, location, demon porter to hell. I mean, that's how the <laughs> saying goes. I, you know, is, is old as time. Um, but the true story about this is that this is, uh, is actually an abandoned hotel in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. that a real haunted house company bought and turned into a haunted house uh, attraction. So... It's very, very amusing that it, this is somewhat a true story. It's just everything else, you know, everything else that happens is not true uh, and the backstory about it. But it is, in fact, this is literally what happened. Somebody bought an old hotel, turned it into a haunted house attraction. As far as we know, no one has died in this haunted house. Yeah, 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 yeah. at least due to ghosts, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so so the movie starts off and, you know, we get our usual, you know, back in 2000, blah, the, this, you know, haunted house thing, and this is the footage that was recovered. I, You know what? One detail that I will give them a huge amount of credit for in this, uh, the story is set in 2009. The film was released in, or was made in 2015, released in 2015, whatever. Uh, so that gives them enough time where it's like, it's recent enough events that it would still be fresh in people's mind far enough back that the uh, ubiquitousness of evidence wouldn't be there like you might have today, but recent enough that like there's a YouTube video or something. So like that's, that's, it's interesting. Uh, but there's, I think it's in the, the deleted scenes. There's an interview with like the mayor of the town or something like that. And they're like, so like you wanted them to, to come here. You just, you didn't want them to go to that hotel. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, like, of course we, we are like, you stood to make, uh, your, your town stood to make some money off of this event. And like, yeah, of course we did. And like, why wouldn't we want that? Especially in 2009. And you think about like coming out of the, the, uh, the other side of the, the 2008 recession, small town yeah, in rural upstate New York, or in, in reality, in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, of course they would want the kind of tourism attraction that like this might bring. And like, you know, their, their big selling point with the, the Hell House team was that they're, you know, they've been doing this around New York City and they've got a bit of a buzz, but now they're, they're trying to do go big and like attract people to come out of the city to come to this town. I'm like, okay, that's a cool detail. Just the, the, the decision to set it specifically in 2009 to allow for some internet publicity and to allow for that, like, reasoning why a town might know, like, there's a dark secret, but, like, not try to stop, you know, try too hard to stop it from happening. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they do also mention in the IMDb uh, trivia facts that apparently in uh, the second movie of uh, this series that they do actually go into a little bit of detail and it turns out that the, you know, the mayor did know, but they didn't get full approval mm. for this. It was kind of like a after the fact uh, type thing where they never like closed on the deed or anything like that. They basically just sort of showed up and squatted in this hotel mm-hmm. and got all this on uh, this abandoned uh, warehouse and your hotel and got all this uh, set up. So also a cool fact. Um yeah, so so again, the movie kicks off typical, uh, you know, uh, found footage film. This is this is what they did. Documentary crew comes in. We see some interviews, and the documentary crew, you know, was like, "Look, the only thing," and we got a couple of like historians and and uh, like a news reporter that took a bunch of photos. Robert Cliver, mm-hmm. and uh, and so what we learn is that or in the beginning of the film to our knowledge, the audience's knowledge that the only thing that they had was this YouTube video that shows somebody going through the haunted house, getting to just before the basement, going down, like heading down the stairs to the basement. And then a flood of people start coming back up the basement saying like, go get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows why they go up, they go out, they meet with the police and fire and then a bunch of people die, and uh, nobody knows why. So they have that footage um, where we don't really necessarily see anything. And then they have a phone call, uh, a 911 phone call, in which somebody says something to the effect of, uh, you know, they're here into the walls. They're uh, into the walls. The implication being that she's saying they're pulling us into the walls or something like that, but, like, you don't really hear it. Uh, yeah. So I was like, "Oh, what is this spooky nine one one call? What like what happened with the in the basement? Why is everyone running? We don't know, but uh, supposedly fifteen people were killed or you know severely injured on this, uh, including guests and crew. Uh, but we don't really see any of that happen initially." Yes, and and so we hear a bunch of stories, and then, you know, there's a big silence about it, right? Nobody talks about it. You know, none of the survivors talk about it. None of the police that went in there talk about it. It is just radio silent after the fact, and that's where this documentary comes in, because they're like, we want to know, like, what the deal is. This is where, you know, the... Um, the historians and stuff come in because they're like, this is really weird, right? A whole bunch of people died on this night. Mm-hmm. It's all surrounding this. This this building has a crazy history already. So what happened, right? Like, what what does it happen? And, you know, nobody's talking about it. So this documentary crew is here to basically figure it out. So the first part of this film is them going through and... Uh, trying to find out as much information as possible. We get a bunch of history of the hotel, the stuff we already mentioned for you. You know, we get a few, you know, witness events, the YouTube video. And then in comes uh, Sarah Halver. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Sarah Halver is uh, seemingly the last remaining survivor of the Hell House LLC crew. Um, And so she comes to be interviewed by the documentary crew. And when she gets there, the first thing she does is plop a bag on the table. And she's like, this is all of the footage of, of Hell House LLC from the moment we bought the the, ho- the hotel up until the event. And there, she's like, nobody has seen this before. You know, I grabbed all the tapes, you know, before the cops came in and, and did what they need to do and boarded up the place. Uh, so this is everything. Security tape footage, the footage that Paulie is uh, recording, Paul is recording, uh, and this is everything. Which, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the the security camera footage, because that that is actually uh, another thing that bugs me about this film, is that they go to meticulous lengths to, to show us that there is security camera all over this house, although this hotel, whatever, uh, with the exception of a blind spot in the basement, which excellent. You're setting up, uh, us not knowing for sure what happened in the basement on that fateful night. Great. Like, well done. Um, but we never see any of the security cam footage except when we see them sitting at the monitors watching it. They don't ever use that footage to further the plot or to like demonstrate any of the spookiness. It's all handheld shaky cam shit. I thought that was really interesting as well. There is a passing comment where, uh, you know, somebody says to the camera, to the guy that's running that, they're like, were you rolling on that? Like during this night, cause a spooky thing happens. He's like, no, I'm not, 
I'm not rolling now. I won't roll until till the night of. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, should I be rolling? He's like, yes, you should be rolling on this like all night. And he's like, I, I'm not going to do that. So I just thought that was really interesting that they set up all of the security cameras only to never use them. It yeah. was a very interesting choice. Yeah. And then for them to explain it away. Um, I kind of, I mean, like the security cameras feel like they were set up for one scene particular, uh, but then not really, you know, and then the ending and that's about it. But we don't see from the perspective of the security cameras. No, and not even like when they, they get into like the actual events of what happened on opening night, because I can see like, okay, we don't have them running when we're, we're dicking around building the place. Although that would have been really cool for just, you know, doing more establishing shots and like getting more creep factor. And like, you could have had some, uh, some overt or subtle, uh, haunting events, uh, from that. Like it could have been really cool. Uh, and yes, that might've been considered derivative. I don't know. You think like paranormal activity, whatnot, but like it works in this genre. And again, they went to such great lengths to show us that they were there several times, even when later on the documentary crew is going through the, the, uh, hotel when it's abandoned, the uh, graves uh, she points out like look at all the security cameras everywhere but then the night of when all of this stuff is happening not just in the basement where they don't have visibility but all through the house like we see later on events that happen in like almost every important room in the in the hotel we get no no aerial shots of that and i thought that that was a, a strange choice it is it was a choice for sure yeah, so uh, so now that we've got this new footage from uh, from Sarah, um, we start getting it interspliced into this film. So now you know she's explaining the story, and it's it basically is like, well, you see, back in September, we blah blah, blah and then she fades out, and then it shows you know basically the the actual footage. Mm-hmm. So we see the Hell Hell uh, Hell House crew. They, you know, there's like five of them. They head to the the mansion. You could tell that they're a little cautious or to the hotel. They're a little cautious at first. You know, we get that whole setup of like, why are we doing this? We should stay here tonight. Oh my you God. know, test yeah. it out. No, you know, absolutely and it's like, not. no. First of and all, they don't. Smart. It's been abandoned for years. It's like at, at the bare minimum, it's filthy and moldy and like it's dangerous to you in that regard. Uh, also, they don't have working electricity or any climate control or anything like that. And uh, they essentially had to break into the place. So like it's not particularly secure. I just there's so many reasons why that's a bad idea. Yeah, like even if you subtract all of the ghost thing, like there yeah. are still credible reasons why you should not do that. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, like you take away the entire haunting story and this still could have been a very scary story about like a like a business renovation gone terribly wrong. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be, like there's so many nightmare scenarios that could happen in that. And I think they, <laughs> they hint at one uh, and never, never give us any fulfillment. Um, you know, not the yeah. least of which being running out of fucking money or some shit like that. But like, right, right, right. like there are so many reasons why you don't just show up at this abandoned property and be like, let's sleep here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Even as young, dumb kids. <laughs> uh, so... So here they are, they're at the place, they start getting everything going. You know, this is our usual, we're building tension, you know, Mm -hmm, we're going to show some creepy shit every so often. So now we start to get a few of the moments, right? And Caleb, you brought up the first one, uh, uh, and it was, it was a (laughs) bait, it was like almost... I, I caught it and immediately because I was looking for it, like, uh, at, at this point, at any time that I watch a movie like this, I am looking for the scary moments i'm looking for the 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 subtle like you're supposed to notice that there's a cloaked figure in the background or there's a scary face looking through the bookshelf or whatever like so i I was keeping an eye on that and at 21 minutes and 30 seconds exactly uh the camera pass pans past a room and there's a like a dark cloaked figure standing in the corner i was like i got you motherfucker so i paused it and like Scrubbed around until I got the the exact right moment. I took a photo and I sent it to y'all. I was like, "Yeah, fucking got it." <laughs> and then like I hit play again, and they immediately pan the camera back to like show that like 
like whoever was doing the editing was like, ah, I saw that too. And I'm like, ah, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> My efforts were wasted. Uh, yeah. But there, I, there are sh- several moments like that throughout the movie. Uh, not nearly as many as I would have expected, or at least I didn't see as many as I hoped to. And I think a lot of that comes down to the, just the camera work and how like dark and cluttered and shaky. And there's like, everything was very, very cramped in this movie, almost at times more so than in as above when they were literally below ground. No, I agree. Like, I thought that was really interesting, too, because, like, it felt like the frame was very tight always. Like, we were always very close on people, you know, like, we had very limited room to look over shoulders or behind walls. And they do, they do a lot of, like, the, oh, shit, what was that in the background Mm -hmm, moments. mm -hmm. But they point them out every single chance. Mm-hmm. Like every single time one of them happens, they immediately are like, Did you see that thing? This is the exact thing that happened, right? Yep. Like every single time they they make a note to tell you you should have seen this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's via, you know, the documentary, the editor of this, you know, found footage or the actual people, a lot of times they'll be like, yo, did you just see that? That's a thing right there. Yeah. Let me let me turn the camera back and let's approach this and uh, like talk through it. Which that part I actually think is a lot more realistic than uh, you know, a lot of portrayals would be like, did you see that? No, it was nothing. Just keep going. Or like, like yeah. oh, you're crazy. Or like, oh, I, I must have just, you know, my eyes were playing tricks. I mean, like, no, you fucking saw something. Like, go investigate. Uh, so like, to that to that extent, like, good on them for like doing what I think would be the, the more uh, realistic human uh, thing of like, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, mm, what is this? Gotta see. What was that? Yeah. What was it? <laughs> So this brings me up to a point uh, that I I don't really get this. I maybe I get it in children, but I don't get it in adults. So there is a moment where Paul, who is the person who is seeing these sort of things happen the most because he's the camera guy. Yeah. And there is a moment yeah. uh, where you know there's one where a, a figure walks into his room, kind of stands there for a minute, and then walks out. He follows it out. You can't figure out what's going on. He thinks it's the rest of the crew kind of fucking with him. And then there's the most creepy one, which is he, uh, you know, uh, tur- wakes up, you know, as he's done a few times, turns on the lights, and behind him, sitting against the wall, is a f- crazy, you know, ghosted up woman. This part scared me the most yeah. uh, of this movie. This this really scared the shit out of me, because this is like a fear of mine. <laughs> and so we see the woman there, and he's like, oh, fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck? And, you know, he's there. And then, like, he pulls the covers over his head? No. Why would you want to not know what the fuck that thing was doing? Right. Like, I would I would just be hyper-vigilant. Like, that's just, like, hyper-vigilant at all time. Like, what is it doing next? Like, stare it down, motherfucker, because you, if it comes after you, you'll want to know. You make as much noise as you can, and you get as many other people in that room with you as, as you possibly can. Uh, to to eliminate the the uh, or at least reduce the likelihood that you're about to get fucking taken. Yeah, <laughs> you, you're gonna get fucked up. Motherfucker hides under the sheets, keeps peeking out uh, under the sheet, and every time, of course, the thing gets closer and closer and closer till eventually it just takes him. Yeah. Um, and you know, Paul, uh, Paul just kind of disappears for a couple of days and everyone's like, ah, fucking Paul, like, cause he's kind of a douche, right? He is um, kind of a, kind of a douche throughout the film and it's, it's not fully established, but implied that he, he does shit like this, that he's unreliable. They do say that like there was one time he just fucked off in the middle of a, uh, you know, of a production and just didn't come back for like four days or whatever. But like it. It, it does seem like they should have been a bit more worried about him than they were, especially because he was already telling them, like, look, I'm seeing shit and I'm really uncomfortable here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I definitely would be like, hey, he's either trying to fuck with us and, you know, we should address that or he's seeing shit and we need to assuage his fears, you know, yeah. uh, because it was very like, I don't know, man. Yeah, maybe Paul's a kind of a jerk sometimes, but it feels like you're all being bad friends. Yeah, and I mean, that's <laughs> something that you and I talk about pretty much any time we watch any kind of horror or thrill or anything like that. Like, yeah. 
the gaslighting that comes from the people that are supposed to be the closest to you. Like, uh, no, you can't possibly be seeing that thing that you clearly saw and filmed. <laughs> and filmed. Like, That's the other thing. He even goes back and shows them the film, and they're like, well, I don't know, man. It's yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> when, like, the, the the one clown mannequin was moving around and, like, turned its head. Instead of, like, they get several moments like that on film, and they just cannot get out of their own heads to stop accusing each other of pulling pranks. And, like, I guess maybe the, the moral here is don't get into the haunted house business with your asshole friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, so so Paul's now been taken. It's We're, we're coming closer and closer. Sarah has a moment where uh, she is found um, staring into a wall mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the night. Nobody can find her. They go and find her. And uh, um, there, there is a really cool thing. So the uh, I want to find what it is that she says. Because um, they have her, like, it's the audio is reversed. So it sounds yeah, like she's, was, she's like, quote, unquote, speaking in tongues. But it's like. Yeah, I'm trying to find, I can't find the exact thing because they say, oh, yeah, when I got to the front door, the police were arriving mm. is what she's saying. But she's saying it backwards, mm. um, which is uh, the last thing supposedly we hear her say. Uh, or so she says to the interviewer, mm-hmm. uh, when I got to the front door, the police were arriving. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, Paul's been taken, Sarah's been acting weird, like a lot of weird shit has been happening. And, and it's not just Paul that sees it. Um, a few other people see it, everybody, but the main guy, Alex, uh, who I, maybe I missed it. What was the thing what what was the thing where he was like, you don't know all the facts. You don't know all the facts. No, the fact is... They don't tell us. And that, that, is, that was the joke that I made at the beginning. That's our unresolved plot point that is made a big deal of and then dismissed. Even, even the... Um, the the outtakes uh, later on in the director's cut uh, tease it, but they just, like, there's something I need to tell you. I'm Batman. Yeah, like, they just, like, they make jokes about it, but we never actually find out. The... Uh, so I did watch the trailer for Hell House LLC 2, uh, the Abaddon okay. Hotel. Um, and that, um, that I, I think that movie both spoils and explains uh, large portions of this one. Uh, and nice, that nice. We, we find out more about Alex's motivations. Uh, we find out that, at least from, from the trailer, the implication is that like the business is fucked. And this is kind of like a last-ditch thing. So my guess is that he probably put everything into this hotel and didn't tell everyone because he didn't want them to worry. But, like, this is, a, like, a make-or-break season for them. That's that's the implication that I think is coming from this. Um, but also apparently revealed in that film uh, that, like you said earlier, like, they didn't get permission for this. They just, like, went and went and did it, uh, which also, I think, could be related to what, you know, what nobody knows. Um, but right. uh, it's heavily implied that Alex knows damn well what happened in this place prior with, with Tully and is specifically interested in it because of that not because of just the the spooky location or because it's abandoned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I thought they were going to go in, but I, my only, my complaint about this scene is that after Paul, you know, kind of fucks off the other, you know, one of the other guys is like, you know, fuck this. Like I'm out. Mm-hmm. Paul's messing with us because they have this whole thing with the clown. Like they're running around. There's like the clown mask mm-hmm. and the clown guy standing around. They're like, no, it's Paul fucking with us. Like I'm done with this. I don't want to, you know, handle his bullshit. Like, I'm done with all of this. He leaves and he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You know, you don't understand the facts. There's more you need to know. And I was like, oh, this is something about Paul. Like, we're about to learn a backstory about Paul. But then the implication of we get the tail end of the conversation when they're out in the field and he's like, yeah, so who knows? And he was like, oh, well, you know, I know, obviously, you know, Alex knows, Sarah doesn't know yet, and Paul knows. And he was like, oh, okay, all right, well, you know, all right. And then they sort of imply that they're going to say it again mm-hmm. when they have like the meeting with all the actors and stuff. And I'm like, what was it? What was the point of this? Yeah. I don't understand. Like, what are you, what are you hiding? I thought this was, I thought this was going to give me something about Paul that I was going to be like, oh shit, Paul was haunted in the past and that's why he loves haunted movies or 
Paul's dad was a Satanist or something. You know, like, give me something. Well, and I, I fully expected it to be some revelation about Alex because, like, Tony yeah. is like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. I fucking quit. And Alex is like, yeah, whatever. Go. And Mac is, of course, you know, the one that, that chases after him and, and tells him, like, you don't know. And so the implication being, like, you can't leave because... Ta-da! Reason. Reason, exactly. And that's that... that mm, mm. Yeah, that <laughs> cut that whole thing from the movie because mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. But the scene before that is really fucking creepy. The scene leading up to that because they... Basically, we've been seeing this giant clown guy <laughs> um, just sort of standing in doorways, in halls and stuff like that. And we keep seeing him several times over. But every time they approach him... They're like, oh, it's just the mannequin. Like somebody is, you know, it's Paul fucking with us. And then Paul's like, oh, it's, you know, Mac and Alex fucking with me. Mm -hmm. You know, so everybody thinks it's the other person messing with them. You know, which I kind of get, though. Like, not necessarily the part of them messing with them, but you're in a haunted house and you're seeing these figures around. You're like, oh, shit, somebody probably just left this here, right? You know, like... Well, These are reasonable things you see because you're like, yeah, that's supposed to be somewhere in this room. It, it is heavily established throughout the entire film that they have these mannequin figures all around. They have some that are hanging from the ceiling. They have some that are slumped over the tables in the bar. They have the the three clowns in the basement. Uh, but it's when these things move and clearly no one else was around to do it that, like, I don't know, y'all, maybe stop fighting and, and figure it out. Turn your fucking cameras on. Like, again, they had cameras everywhere. They could have seen these things either moving or appearing on their own. Or, you know, it could have been a a situation where, like, it doesn't show up on the camera. That makes it creepier. I I think a reasonable person would be annoyed that someone was fucking with them. Someone was doing a prank. Mm -hmm. And would record the security footage, the regular footage, or call a house meeting and be like, look, we've got a lot of shit to do. Yeah. This is a, you know, like we, we just bought this place. There's a lot of, you know, construction and setup done. Like we don't have time for these sort of games. And that's where that situation was like, no, literally I'm the one I'm getting pranked though. Yeah. And the other kids be like, well, I'm getting pranked. And they'd be like, okay, so clearly an outside person is pranking us. We have 30 fucking cameras. Yeah. Let's roll the cameras to see yeah. who is breaking in and pranking us. That's the that would a reasonable thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is the logical conclusion that these guys would make because they do this for a living. <laughs> That's the other thing is like it felt like this was their first go around. And I was like, you deal with this though. Like you this shouldn't feel weird to you. At least the other four, because it's it it is later implied, even like outside of what I think is revealed in the second film, uh, that Alex maybe is in a little bit over his head because we sure. find his notebook and it is the classic scribblings of a raving lunatic sort of thing where like the word Abaddon is written over and over again for several pages, but, you know, wrapped around various symbols and, you know, upside down crosses and pentacles and whatnot. Uh, And so like, Oh, Alex is either like descended into madness or he's into something dark too. Uh, Very glossed over. Like, I thought it was Sarah's at first. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, because it was after the first time Sarah does her sleepwalking thing. But then, like, there's a scene later on where, like, someone's yelling at Alex and, like, oh, write it in your little notebook. And now you see... And he has it in his hand. See the notebook. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, And it's also, like, I don't know, like, it was Paul being a weirdo snooping in that room to begin with, where, like, you get the implication that he's going to be, like finding Sarah's underwear to sniff or something like that, but instead he's... That is 100% what I thought he was <laughs> right? doing. Okay, thank you. I was like, Paul, Paul was on, a fucking creep. Paul was a huge fucking creep. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's like reading through this notebook and he's like, ah, fuck this. And like that, like with all the stuff that like Paul specifically had experienced leading up to that moment, like that, if nothing else, should have been the get the fuck out of there moment for, for Paul. Yeah. Like that's the get out of Dodge like, moment. My, yep. my friend is unwell and has dragged us to this place that like is clearly uh, at the very least, uh, it, it, like the mold is fucking with my head at the minimum. And you know what? That's dangerous enough. I would I would venture so far as to say that in most cases the mold in the walls is more dangerous than the ghosts in the walls. Uh, yeah, black mold, man, mm-hmm. that shit'll kill you. Hell yeah, get you. 
Yep. So, uh, so all the creepy shit starts happening. It's the lead up to opening day, uh, which we know that on opening day is when the event actually occurred. Mm -hmm. Now it's late in the movie at this point. And, you know, Sarah's like, you know, she's doing her interview and she's like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of really tired. Can I take a break? And they were like, yeah, of course. And she was like, I want to go back to my room. And they're like, okay, like, where are you staying? She's like, Oh, I'm in this hotel. Um, the hotel that they're at right now, um, which is a new hotel, like a fancy regular hotel. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm in room 2C, you know, so do that. So Sarah goes off back to her room. You know, the person running the documentary is like, you start reviewing this footage. Like, let's go through all this footage. You know, let me know more. And then she points to the cameraman. She's like, we're going to go bust into the house. She says it's five in the morning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was like, why are you doing an interview at like midnight of her explaining, it was really weird the time. Yeah, and there was the whole like behind the scenes thing where like the, they're showing the the camera set up and like getting the lighting and everything in the conference room and like she's not gonna come, she's not gonna come to the phone rings. Like, oh look at that, she's here. Uh, yeah, or she's on her way. So like you know maybe they set up late at night and just it took Sarah longer to get there. I don't like the whole interview with Sarah thing was. I think one of the most interesting, but also one of the most fraught ideas that they had for this film. Uh, I, I particularly loved the turn of phrase when the uh, when Graves, the the interviewer, asks Sarah. Uh, so, like, like, what have you been up to for these last? They say fifteen years, but I don't think that that's right. No, uh, no it's set six years, seven years, six, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll call it five. Uh, what have you been up to for the last, I think I just misread 15 somewhere. I don't think I ever actually said that, but however long, you know, what have you been up to? And Sarah says, I, I'm in a better place now. Or I'm not in a better place. No, now. she says, I'm in a better place now. Oh, all right. And okay. that turn of phrase often used like when a loved one dies, Oh, it's okay. They're in a better place now. Huh, what could that mean? So <laughs> off goes the camera and uh, the graves. They stop down at the hotel lobby. They talk to the concierge and they're like, hey, you know, uh, can you let 2C know that um, we're going to bounce out for a minute? Uh, you know, the woman in 2C know that we're going to bounce out. If she needs anything, we'll be back in an hour. And the concierge is like, what do you mean? And she's like, the 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 woman that's staying in 2C. And she's like, our hotel, like our rooms don't have num uh, letters on them. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh. She's like, okay, well, uh, Sarah Halver, where, what room is she staying at? And she's like, no, we don't got anyone by that name here. And she's like, oh, well, she probably just used a different name. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense, though, because of like the way they, they bring the beginning of the movie up. They were like look like nobody is allowed to talk about this. So, and she's the last living member mm -hmm. of this. And she, you know, to the town, her company is responsible for killing these people, mm -hmm. you know, either due to gross negligence or some other reason. They say it was a gas leak, you know? So like, she's not exactly a, a welcome person in this town anyways. So it totally makes sense that she would use a fake name in the town. Yeah, right. That makes sense. So off they go. They go to uh, the house. They break into the back of it. You know, they're wandering around. And eventually they get up to uh, a room. And uh, while at the room, they see that it's labeled to see. And she's like, what the fuck? And so they open the door. There is Sarah Halver. Hook locked from the outside. Yes, which was very interesting to point out. Mm -hmm. uh, and they unhook it. They open the door. There is Sarah Halver sitting on the bed, staring out the window. Uh, she eventually turns to face them, and her face is all torn apart, and she's covered in blood. They look away and look back up, back up and now we see the other hooded figures, and we'll talk about what actually happened in the basement. Mm -hmm. uh, we see the other hooded figures. They go after the camera crew. The camera falls. Blah. Which now, yeah, is problematic because... That leads us right back to the question that so many of these movies are plagued by. Like, all right, we have the we have the YouTube video, we have another like tour person's footage, we have photos that were taken by police and other journalists. Uh, theoretically, we have the the security camera footage, but you know we never have that. And then we have Hell House LLC's handheld camera that they're they're filming everything. Cool, we have all of this stuff, but how did we get the documentary camera? Someone had to go into the house again, right? 
Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So now uh, we get a flashback to uh, other moments. So the one thing we see is Sarah is trying to escape from uh, the night of, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she she you know runs downstairs, and the guy's like, "No, get the fuck out of here! Like, get out of the house! Get out of the house!" And so they start going. He ends up getting captured and killed or whatever by there's like hooded figures everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they have an actress that's like chained up in the bottom of the in the basement. And that was the big thing is they were going to put a guy in a clown costume, a big guy in the clown costume to kind of like protect her because she was going to be very scantily clad and chained up. And Mm -hmm. they just in case somebody tried to like fuck with her and touch her. And so that was there. But in the beginning of the footage, we see that the clown guy nope the fuck out of there fast he's like nope and runs the fuck out of there we go back we see that footage and we see that a bunch of hooded figures have appeared they you know seemingly kill her Mm -hmm. and start killing people that are in the basement and then eventually a giant hole opens up in the basement floor uh you know hell style hell portal style and we see the the actress get dragged into that hell portal for you know creepy as hell and then uh, but now Sarah's trying to get out. She gets up to one area and she ends up finding Paul, who's just being fucking creepy. Yep. You know, Paul is just sit, you know, catatonic, sitting down. She's like, Paul, we got to get the fuck out of here. Like, what are you doing? Let's go. She drags him up. He gets up. He picks up the camera that he's been uh, recording everything with mm-hmm. and smashes Sarah's face oh, in. Just, just brutally beats the fuck out of her with it. Yep. And then he, you know, sets, drops the camera back down. It's now facing at his legs. We see Sarah get um, pulled away by something. Which and is, then, is a great touch yeah. because, like, we, in, like, the the um, journalist photos that we see earlier in the film, we see this hallway, and there's one spot where there's just, like, a huge blood, like, spatter, pole, puddle, whatever. And then there's another, like, smear going down the hallway. And we're like... And it goes right into a wall. Yeah. Yep. They're pulling us into the walls. They're pulling us into the walls. Yep. Um, But then fast forward back to this scene, and we're seeing how that blood came about. Yeah. So uh, Paul leans down, finds a piece of broken glass, slits his throat. It's also important to mention that we found Alex, uh, who had hung himself in the attic, Mm -hmm. and we turn around and see that a bunch of hooded figures are there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Uh, so, so that's, you know, kind of our, our movie ends with, you know, basically everybody dying, seemingly. Uh, you know, nobody is left alive of the documentary crew, the original Hell House LLC crew. There's, so, but again, it is the who found the footage. Oh, my God. There's one poor asshole left alive from the documentary crew. He's the one guy that stayed behind and was compiling uh, Mitchell, all, right? yeah, Mitchell, who's compiling all the yeah. footage, who was the one that showed us how, uh, how Sarah and Paul died. Uh, <laughs> so, like, maybe he had to go and get his his friend's camera. Oh, man. Maybe. I, I hope not. Uh, Poor Mitchell. Mitchell didn't deserve that. I mean, he was kind of a dick, but, like, I don't think he deserved that. He didn't deserve that. Uh, yeah. All my friends are dead. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So, so, thus ends our movie. Um, everyone dead. This is, this is, you know, how we see everything happen. Clearly the hooded figures were, let's say demons that Andrew Tully really did open a portal to hell. And anybody that goes into that house is, uh, essentially taken to hell. Uh, so hell house, uh, hell house, LLC director's cut. Should you watch this movie? I think you should. Okay. I think it has a lot of problems to it. But there are creepy moments. I think every one of the cool, like, corner of your eye moments, even though they very much point them out after the fact, I think they are creepy. And I think it's I think it's worth a watch. But with the don't expect to leave that one being like, but did it actually happen? Yeah. Because it it very much makes it feel like it didn't. Yeah. Uh, so my my take, uh, I'm very, very mixed on this one. First thing I would say is skip the director's cut because all I do is spoil that it's going to, there's spoil that there's going to be stuff that you don't see in the movie that they then show you yeah. later that isn't really, doesn't add anything Unless you're just you're a super fan of DVD extras, in which case I guess just do it, but maybe skip through the first like thirty seconds or so where it's you know 
the director introducing everything that you're about to see. Uh, as for the movie itself, yeah, I think it's a good found footage film, and I think I think Casey was right to include this one this month. I think it's it's a uh, you know a solid example of the fr- of the genre, and I think that for most people, uh, it is uh, that like ratcheted up scare factor that that he was going for. Uh, didn't scare me at all really because i mean a lot of us was pretty predictable but also like i was looking for the scares and so it's it's harder for them to get you when you when you are looking for them to be there so like the the scene with the girl where where paul's hiding under the 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 sheets probably the scariest scene but even that's like okay he's gonna lift it off she's gonna be closer he's gonna cover back up so like yeah the trick has been done enough by other people that it like it's not that they shouldn't have done it, and it's not that it, like it's it's played out or or derivative or or anything like that. Like this isn't a diss at them. It's just that like I've seen it enough that like now I know how to prepare myself to not be scared by it. Whereas like the first time I saw that like little like three minute indie uh, throw together found footage horror thing of the the light switch in the hall uh, that yeah. ended up becoming a real movie. The first time I saw that scared the shit right out of me uh like that concept is terrifying uh and it can be done really well it was done really well in this scene i just it was played out to me the biggest complaint that i have is that their their most tense moments were so cluttered and dark and shaky that it was hard to see anything so like the big climax of opening day when everyone's running and screaming and every, you know, like 15 people are supposedly dying, you see nothing. And in some ways that's cool. We've talked about like, you know, don't show the monster, like, you know, imply as much as you can, but like in something like this, you kind of have to see why people are scared. Uh, and I don't know that something about like, the hooded figures walking up to the girl chained and then the camera cuts away and then it cuts back and now she's on the ground being dragged in. And like, I don't, like you don't see what happens to her. You don't see anyone dying in the basement and I don't know, it's, 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 it's too much. They like, they cluttered this, this building up so much or, you know, whoever did the actual haunted house or these people doing the props. I don't know, but it's so fucking cluttered that I just, I was stressing out about that. Like someone's going to fucking like stub their toe or like cut <laughs> themselves on a, on a shelf or something like someone's going to get hurt even if there are no ghosts in this building. Yeah, uh, I, no, I agree. I think uh, I think there was a lot of moments where I'm like, I get it's found footage and we're being shaky and weird, but like some of it was was like the like the effects of like the camera going out or the strobe lights. Yeah. I was like, I, this is too much. Yeah, like, like it's a little too much. The, I mean, the one time the strobe like was potentially really fucking cool, but they they had literally had to like do still images to like make sure that you saw the thing. Like it goes back to what you were saying yep, earlier. That's they, what got me. They go yep. back and show you like in one of the strobe scenes where it's just the handheld camera, you like every couple of frames you're seeing like another figure amongst all the mannequins. Like that's creepy as hell. Well done. But of course the editors are like, oh, you probably missed that. So we need to make sure that we pause, show you a scene without it, show you a scene with it, show you a scene without it again. It's just, you know, just, you know, you probably didn't see this. We need to make sure you see this. I, it's like, I, I said it earlier. I think they did a really good job with using multiple approaches between the, uh, the YouTube footage, like someone else's like hand camera footage during the tour, uh, all of the, the crew's hand camera footage, the, like, uh, the audio from the the nine one one call, like all of these, the, the the photos from the journalists, all of these different things go really well together to put together the story. It's just they seriously left uh, opportunity on the table with the um, the security cameras. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is is like they just they spent too much time explaining it Meh. away almost. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing though. Uh. You know what? We had a we had a whole month of found footage films. Casey did an amazing job setting up this list. Yes, he did. And I think if you're going for a found footage marathon or like a, you know you want to put together a playlist of movies, this should still be on the list. Oh, as yeah. much as we we have spent the last hour kind of dumping on it. This 100% should be on your list of found footage films. Like, this this is, you know, not the worst found footage movie we've ever watched. No, and conceptually... Uh, by is, a long shot. Conceptually is one of the most interesting that I've watched. And, like, even, in it, even with all of its flaws in execution, it is well done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Com- uh, completely agree. 
Yeah, so so we've had a whole month of found footage films. Uh, this is this has been crazy. Our next month coming up, we're actually going to feature. Uh, we're going to bring on two new folks yeah. to the Night Shift Radio uh, world. Um, Night Shift Radio is launching a brand new podcast. You probably already have heard the ads for it uh, on our shows, uh, but we're launching a brand new show called. The fourth pillar of play. Very exciting. And it is a uh, D&D, well, it's basically a tabletop RPG design podcast mm-hmm. where they're going to teach you how to basically set up and create scenarios in in games like Pathfinder and, and Dungeons and & Dragons. So we'll have the two hosts from that on, uh, Talon and Josh. And originally, we were going to cover a movie called Mythica. Oh, that's um, right. Which is, but, uh, but it's been requested via the fourth pillar of play people that we instead... Uh, cover the film Call the Conqueror. <laughs> okay. So All right. <laughs> we're going to do Call the Conqueror, which apparently, I didn't know this, is a prequel to the Conan films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Call the Conqueror is is Conan's dad. Which, I didn't know this, uh, which is pretty interesting. How appropriate, given that D&D really is based on that like barbarian, low fantasy, Conan-type yeah. world building. So like... Uh, well done guys. Uh, that, that's, I mean, I already knew that they were going to knock it out of the park with this show, but like that to me just demonstrates that much more of a 11 understanding of the the genre to so brazenly request that film. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, the trailer episode is up for the fourth pillar of play. Uh, definitely check that out wherever you get podcasts. It is available now. You heard the, uh, the, uh, commercial in the beginning of this episode. Um, so definitely check that out and tune in in November as we talk with Talon and Josh about the movie Call the Conqueror. Woo. Um, the best way to do that hit subscribe. Make sure you're following this podcast on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll be notified whenever brand new episodes drop every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday and Sunday. That's two episodes a week. That's right. And we figured out a long time ago, you got to be subscribed to get the uh, the notification about those bonus episodes. So like, yep. you're messing out if you're not there. So yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. So, hey, thanks a lot for joining us, everyone, on this uh, episode. Happy Halloween. Happy birthday, Caleb. Oh, thank you. Uh, we, we very appreciate you guys listening and following us on all the socials and all the thing. And as always, make sure to share with 100,000 of your closest clown mannequins. And, of course, they will move to a different location when you're not looking, and they will share scare 100,000 of you, their closest friends. <laughs> that's how this works that's how podcasts grow guys it's just a fact <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for listening everyone and we will see you next time